Welcome to episode 161 of the Running Rogue podcast. This is Chris coming to you from Austin, Texas. Excited to bring on recent and frequent guest James Dodds back on the show. And in this episode, we're going to be talking about reflections on 2019. James actually started the year 2019 with me on episode 107, where we talked about healthy tips for the year from our perspective. And now as we wrap up 2019 and head into a new decade, we wanted to reflect on the year with both personal and coaching reflections that hopefully will bring some lessons to us and to you as we enter 2020. So I'll bring James on in just a second. This will be a brief intro though, and I do also want to just quickly mention a couple of things before we jump in with James. First, thanks to all of you who have responded to my request for those who might want to come on the podcast for long-term planning discussions. I've definitely gotten an overwhelming response. Probably at least 40 guests or 40 of you, 40 listeners have reached out to potentially help me with that podcast series that I have in the works and I'm still in the in the planning stages. Didn't expect that kind of response, but I'm still in the planning stages on that. We'll be, but we'll be getting back to those of you who reached out relatively soon with some potential next steps there. So thanks for reaching out. Also, secondly, I wanted to remind you that we've got an open window now to sign up for my virtual podcast training group, season five of the podcast training group. You can sign up now through January 3rd to join that group and train with us for spring races. We're targeting mostly races in the April and May time frame, and you can either do 5K, 10K, half track, or marathon tracks. We've got all of those options. You can find more details and sign up at roguerunning.com forward slash podcast training. We've already had a uh, bunch of new people jump into the group, excited to welcome them in and you'd like to join us please jump in as well we'll have some kind of transition work for you and transition workouts as we close out december and then we'll be kicking off the new year in in full force in january with that group so excited to start season five and this is a time a window and we really only have a couple windows a year where you can jump in there so if you're interested please check it out and jump in if you go to that webpage roguerunning.com forward slash podcast training. You can also listen to a sample sort of weekly episode that Kate and I do for that to basically provide instructions for the week as well as give other tips. It's like having an extra podcast each week that is focused on your training, which is, I think, useful and exciting for those that have been in the program. Mary Margaret, my last guest on episode 160 was, of course, one of those or is, of course, one of those. So, that's all I have for you as we intro. Let's let's welcome James to the show. Welcome James Dodds back to the show. Thanks so much. Friend of the show, friend of the pod, as we call it in the biz. <laughs> How are you doing today, man? Oh, I'm so good. It's been a good day, good Monday. Good to see you. We're excited about this one. You know, you and I started the year with an episode on running tips for 2019 and we'll be finishing the year in a sense or having one of the last episodes of the year being you and I talking again but this time we wanted to reflect on 2019 and bring to the audience lessons that we've learned both personally as athletes but also as coaches that we think would be fun to reflect on and perhaps some lessons to dig out of those reflections 
for others to learn from potentially or not. So we're going to do that kind of like Facebook gives you those year and review things. You'll get one on Strava as well that tells you all the miles you've run and who the people have been. Spotify is going to tell you what you've listened to over the course of 2019. But this is our podcast version of that reflections on 2019 with James and Chris. One thing before we jump in and we're going to kind of again like we tend to do volleyball back and forth here on different reflections and I'll start this time but one thing I wanted to briefly reflect on and get your perspective on because it I still don't think it's fully registered with the world that this is happening but we're starting a new decade you know going from 2019 to 2020 which is not in some ways unlike going from 1999 to 2000 I know the, the there were more zeros involved there but this is a it's a big shift into a new decade so have you reflected on that at all has it hit you yet and if so what do you think about when you think about entering a new decade you know i have not reflected on that actually i i i'm big on new years so i always start the year with with goals and i'm already thinking you know i've already thought through quite a bit for uh 2020 just on a personal level I tend to write all my goals down in in the month of December so I haven't um, thought uh, thought about it from the perspective of a new decade but I will say on a personal level I remember turning 30 and I don't know why but 29 seemed like a stressful year where I was putting all this like angst on myself like I I had things to prove Um, and I remember having this refreshed feeling at 30 because I woke up and I was like oh I go on living (laughs) Right. right. So, um, you know, maybe 2020 will be refreshing um, this new decade. But yeah. you asked, you had to have asked for a reason. So let, let's hear what you have to say, because I've not reflected well, on it like that. You know, I, well, first of all, for context, and I think people have heard me talk about this before. I am not a big resolution person, not that I'm against it. And I think it has its place for everybody to kind of take with what they will and use it however they choose that that turning the calendar on the next number for the year. And I know everybody treats that a little bit differently. I am not someone who really puts big weight on the beginning of the year. I'm kind of one of those that thinks if I want to change something and that happens to happen in June, then I just need to do it then versus wait till a certain point. So for that reason, it's not necessarily something I really do on an annual basis But there is something, I think, to be said for flipping the calendar on a decade and thinking, man, if I reflect on the last 10 years, which were mostly my 30s, as I enter my 40s, which I've done, but, you know, now I'll be spending this decade marching towards 50, I guess it does make me pull back a little bit, whereas the annual calendar change doesn't make me pull back or you know, think reflectively on life that much. The decade calendar change, I guess, has me doing that just a little bit, you know, nothing crazy. And while I don't have any massive conclusions, it, again, does make me reflect a little bit and just think about, hey, what do I want the next 10 years to be to be like? And it's funny, my, my son asked me, <laughs> This week, he said, hey, dad, when when are you done with your podcast? 
And I thought he was talking about the latest episode. I'm like, oh, well, I do it on this day. I post it on that day. And he's like, no, no, when are you done with it? Like, when will it stop? <laughs> and, and I'm like, well, it's never done. I do it every week. And he said, well, are you going to be doing it when you're 80? <laughs> and that was kind of a silly question in the moment, right? Because they were like, I couldn't really imagine in 40 years still cranking out running rogue podcasts. <laughs> but it does make you at least sort of say, hey, well, how long am I going to be doing this? What, what? You know, what I want my seasons of life in a broad sense to look like and reflect and just to assure people I'm not going anywhere. (laughs) But it does make me think, you know, hey, what do I want this to be in 10 years if I'm still doing it? What do I want Rogue to be in 10 years if I'm still doing it? What do I want to be doing as an athlete in the next 10 years to be proud of that part of my life? How do I want my family to look? So it has made me pull back a little bit and think about those broad swaths of life. And and while, again, I don't have any major conclusions yet, I've been reflective on that. And I will be reflective on that going into this new decade, which is a little bit different for me than it would be every year. So there you go. Yeah, cool. I like it. All right, let's jump in. Reflections on 2019. And again, while these will be personal for us, I think there'll be lessons for the audience. And I would also encourage everybody to do this. I think it's a healthy exercise, whether it becomes something that you act on or not. So again, we're going to kind of volleyball back and forth. Some of these will be personal uh, personal takeaways from us as athletes. Some will be personal takeaways from us as coaches. The first one for me that I want to talk about, and it's something I talked about a few episodes ago on the podcast, is my is what I can glean and reflect on related to my annual mileage. You know, Strava is always one of those things that gives you your year-end update. And while I haven't gotten that yet, I do at this time of year kind of slide over in that profile section of the app to just see where I'm at for the year and kind of forecast where I'm going to be in another three weeks or so as the year rounds out. And I, I should finish the year at about 2,600 miles run which if you do the math on that, that works out to 50 miles a week. And I talked in a previous episode recently about how there was a moment recently where I was subconscious or subconscious, self-conscious about that, that number because I just happened to look at a couple of other people and see that they were already well over the 3000s, you know, a month ago when I was doing it and I was suddenly beating myself up for not getting to that threshold this year. And I talked a little bit about my reactions to that. And one of the things I take away for me this year, and this may be an obvious point to some people who would hear that 2600 number and be like, damn, I wish I could do that, right? That that may be an obvious for people. But again, this is all relative. It's that that's a good number. Mm-hmm. That's a good number. And the magic of that number is buoyed by buoyed by the fact that I've been doing that essentially for the last 20 years, every year. I don't know that I've hit 3000 miles in a year for various reasons between now and when I started running in 1999, two decades ago. I don't think I have, but I've consistently cranked out 
2,500 to 3,000 miles, somewhere in that range. Probably every year except for the year my son was born first. Or my first son was born where I didn't run for nine months because I couldn't figure out life after a baby showed up. But other than that, pretty much been cranking out 2,500 to 2,700 miles a a year for almost 20 years. And none of those, especially in our world, none of those years by themselves, especially in our world where everybody's running crazy miles, is that impressive. But the ability to string them together year after year is something that makes me really aerobically strong and also allows me to respond to training quickly because I have that aerobic foundation. And it means for me at 40 years old that because of that history, I don't necessarily need to crank out 70, 80 mile weeks in order to get the same benefit as somebody who might be doing more or maybe even less. And this is a year where I've really learned to own that point. You know, I think in years past, especially recently, I would, I would always finish the year feeling a little bit inadequate. <laughs> like, man, I could have done more, could have done more, beat myself up over, you know, this six weeks where I was injured with an ankle sprain or this period where I couldn't do what I wanted. I beat myself up over those things rather than saying, man, you know what, Chris, you've been crushing that consistency year after year, now decade after decade. And that's what makes you strong you know, versus putting in a number that might be greater today. And because of that consistency, I can be, I can use that savviness that I've developed because of it and that aerobic foundation that I've developed because of it to play around a little bit. I have flexibility and that could mean flexibility with miles could mean flexibility with doing other things if I want to. And I think that plays into the long-term planning, which I talked a little bit about recently as well. And I guess the lesson I would like people to take away from that, because there are probably a lot of people listening that are like, man, I can't run that much or that think, you know, that that's an out, an out of reach number that, you know, I should never feel inadequate about. And, my, my only point is that everybody can relate at some level, whether you did 500 miles this year or whether you did 3,500 miles. Everybody's probably looking at it thinking, man, I missed this workout or this run or whatever. None of that matters. What matters is the consistent work and that consistent work accumulated over time at whatever your starting point, whatever level you can achieve. And if you keep doing that year after year, year after year, then the magic comes and then the fun comes, I think. And while... There's no way I would have known 20 years ago that I'd be at this point. You know, I had to get there one run at a time. It's pretty cool (laughs) that I'm here. And so I'm giving myself permission, even though that may, again, sound ridiculous to people that are listening because it is, I know it is a lot of miles. I'm giving myself permission to pat myself on the back and now have fun with and play with the fact that now I have that that massive foundation with which I can take some liberty. Yeah, I love that. And again, our brains work similarly and we still have our differences under the umbrella thoughts. But um, the first thing I wrote down too was long-term resolution around mileage, meaning I'm so thankful. And maybe maybe we define resolutions differently because you said you're not a resolution guy. 
I am a resolution guy, love routines, habits, you know, I'm a framework guy. We've discussed this personally. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, at the beginning of the year and, and, and speaking of it being relative, I, uh, my goal was to run the year. So 2019, um, I'm closing in, uh, that's in the bag basically, yep. you know, um, as long as I don't get injured, I'm at 1919. Um, I should hit it around, uh, Christmas day and I'm definitely going to pat myself on the back and walk tall and feel proud. <laughs> and I've seen it. So you talked about it from the decade perspective, but I've seen it. Um, what would be interesting from an uh, application standpoint for listeners is, <clears throat> For those that can't even fathom the decade perspective yet, um, even setting the annual goal this year for myself, I'm so glad I did it because I used to, like in May, June, July, August, and this is not a joke, every Monday through Friday, the first thing I did when I got to my office was not check my business email. I would actually log into Strava. I would take my cumulative mile at mileage to date I would divide it by the number of days in the year and then I'd multiply it times 365 to figure out what I was projecting towards. Yep. And it kept me, I mean, there were times I remember getting off um, any one of these uh, anecdotal stories. Like it, uh, in the moment, I remember it being hard, but looking back, I'm like, I'm glad I had that hanging over my head always that I've got to hit 2019. Cause like, I remember getting off a plane from Indianapolis on a Monday at about midnight, pick up my dog from Taurus, get home, crash in bed at one, and the alarm goes off at 4.45 for Team Rogue, and we crush a track workout. Now, that doesn't apply to getting good sleep, but I didn't do that on a regular basis. Um, right. Those were one-offs, and I think it's because I had set a goal early in the year around uh, long-term mileage, um, I'm seeing those changes in this last quarter, um, you know, physique changes, uh, more important than physique though, is, um, being able to see, uh, how I hold up in workouts, especially late in runs. Um, just seeing all of it on the short term scale as well as the long term. you know, I've been running for a decade now too. Um, and I know some of my strength comes from the past 10 years of training, but this year, coming off of 2018 where there was no mileage goal um kind of went and baby jogged one marathon last year uh but to have put my mind towards a long-term goal and to start tasting those benefits you know i race next week so knock on wood um you know that can be part of the celebration uh but even having hit every workout that if i if i looked an athlete in the eye and said you should believe in your goal because of x y and z I have checked the box on X, Y, and Z. Uh, plenty of aerobic strength. Uh, my mind is right. I've nailed every speed workout and even faster speed workouts. So it's all there. Uh, I just have to go do it. Um, but I don't even know that I could come into race week with that level of confidence. Um, and again, I still have to go do it. I have to suffer on the day and still have to do it. But just to give myself the opportunity to go into race day, knowing that every box is checked, I think it goes all the way back to waking up in January and saying, I want to put an annual mileage goal uh, for this year. And then another sub layer to that, and, and this is where on the applied side, I think it depends on personalities. Uh, I am the type that's, I think I gravitate towards frameworks because I naturally am more like the ADD type. You know, midsummer, I was like, I want to be in the gym working on pecs and abs, but I was like, that's only because I'm around a pool a lot. That's not really pecs and abs aren't going to help me on my race. No, you know, it's just extra muscle that's wasted and makes <laughs> me less efficient. So, um, you know, I, I'm glad that, you know, as I would get distracted by short term desire, I constantly, we constantly went back to that bigger picture of 
if the year ends and I can say I've run 2019 miles, then I'm going to be proud of myself. So if anybody's been on the fence thinking about that, um, setting that annual mileage goal, you know, going into the new year, I'm an advocate for it. Yes. And as we reflect on 2019, I'd be proud of whatever you've accomplished. And instead of beating yourself up over the runs you didn't do, focus on the work that you did accomplish and then look ahead to if you can. And it makes sense doing more in 2020, but, but be proud. Yeah. All right. So that's mine. I don't know if you got into your takeaway there, your first takeaway overlapping, or do you have something separate? I mean, it was the same one, except I thought maybe um, those who do need to manage their brain because they have ADD, then use the resolution system, set an annual goal, um, and then trust that, yeah, even from the big picture perspective, like you said, from the decade perspective, but also in one year, you'll see crazy benefits in that last half, last quarter of the year even yep. um, when you stick to it. All right, then we'll go to my next one since we both ironically had the similar one there to start. So my next one is that I learned in 2019 as a runner that I have unfinished business on the roads. You know, one of the things I was very public about this year is going to do that big trail race, got my first ultra done, 50 miles, and spent the better part of five months, more or less, kind of focused on that journey. Loved the, loved the journey, wouldn't change anything. But part of the reason why I did it was to have fun, to mix it up, to, to find variety, and going into it, I remember people asking me, hey, does this mean you're a trail runner now? You're going to go do ultras now? And and the truth was, I didn't think so, but I also didn't know. You know, I went into that experience very open-minded. And I wanted it to basically give me what it was going to give me and then decide on the other side what I wanted. Now, I knew I was going to come back to the roads because I had committed to doing the distance challenge here in Austin and doing the Austin Marathon. So I knew that was going to happen for sure. But I didn't know if it would tug at my soul then and that, yeah, the next thing after that might be to go do more trails. But what I learned was that, yeah, I enjoyed my time there. Wouldn't trade it. It was what I needed. But at the same time, as I was doing some of that trail stuff, I was thinking, man, I still got I still got work to do. I missed at some level, the roads and, and competing for PRs and running marathons and doing the very specific track work and road work that we do for, for that kind of goal. And it, and not that I needed to necessarily, you know, have some big aha moment to know that that I love that. It was nice to have a comp com a contrasting experience to just remind me and confirm that yes, I've got unfinished business and yeah, I'm 40 years old, but I still think I can run a marathon PR. And as I talked about, I'm still think I can run to up to 40 on, you know, previous episodes. So it gave me a little bit of fire back to come back to the roads with a vengeance and, and go back and get, get more, get more on the roads. And so, so I think that's a healthy reflection that, while it applies to me in the specific can apply to anybody that finding some variety, even if you're not sure how you're going to respond to that variety will help shine a light on what you, 
you do want. And you may find that that thing you go try is the thing that just absolutely captures your imagination. And I was open to that. You know, if I found in running a 50 miler that the next thing I just had to do was go run a hundred miles, I was open to that. And there's still not, I still don't know if I'll ever do that, frankly. So I didn't, I didn't get that, but I was open to falling in love with that experience and then wanting more. What it, it provided was, yeah, I was intrigued and I will do more of it, but it also provided this reflection back to say, no, you still got work to do on the roads before you go, go all in on trail. And to me, that's an important thing because it keeps me fired up. Like it fueled my fire and passion when I came back to it. Yeah. So I think I'm just going to keep responding to yours because, um, um, there's two, I, I feel like I have two responses to what you said and it covers two of the points or two of the, you know, accomplishments and considerations uh, yep. that I wrote down. Yep. So one is the trail component. Um, that's something that I was proud that I embraced this year and there were some accomplishments on a personal level within them. So signed up for the rogue trail series and, um, ran under three hours in the first two. I had to volunteer for the third cause it was a week before a marathon I was signed up for. Um, but now in 2020, I'm definitely going to do all three, go under three and, uh, all of them because now I've just know now there's a mental swagger. That's like, Oh, that's the new standard. Right. Um, whether I'm perfectly trained or not, I know that I can go under three in them. And so now I'm kind of curious, well, how well can I run them? And, uh, maybe where will I place? And those are not usually things I, consider going into, um, past trail races. I just always thought of it as a long, slow drudge, but to identify and take some personal wins where I can downhill, I can bound downhill. I don't know why, but, uh, maybe low center of gravity. I'm a strong dude. It's like, you got uh, skills. It, it applies there. And so it gives me a little bit of an advantage that some of the lighter, super fast road athletes, like they can't open up there and it's a shot for me to just run with them. And they all drop me on the, on the <laughs> flats, but I get into technical again and I'm like, I'm coming here we go. and you're not used to seeing me up here with your pack. And that feels pretty good. <laughs> yep. Um, so yeah. And I ran my first 50 K, um, at, um, um, out in West Texas, Sky Island. Yeah. Um, to do that. Wow. That was big, big takeaway from that was that, a 50K is not a marathon plus five miles. <laughs> I always try to break it. Is not. <laughs> no. Yeah, you ran your first 50 miler. I run my first 50K. Yep. Um, I guess a lot of parallels to our year. Um, but what I, what I learned in that race being out there was I know what it's like to see the other side of a wall from a marathon. Um, but I've never been stuck on a wall for an hour and then had a whole brand new race afterwards. <laughs> so at one point, I want to say around mile, uh, you know, 19 or 20, I just, I was already um, planning my speech on why I DNF'd. Um, I was walking for two minutes on and jogging for three minutes, and it was just miserable and painful. I'd gotten behind on nutrition. But being out there in an event that long, um, to taste like a, a complete evolution in the race somewhere around 24, I like woke up. So I'm in there five miles going, running really slow miles thinking the day is done and trying to justify how I'll explain to my friends and fellow athletes and even athletes that I coach, like why I quit and why it didn't matter because my annual mileage goal mattered more and my PR mattered. I, I can't talk through all of this in my head. 
only to get back into like a steady jog and I caught the first person and this is like your fishing concept. But when I started seeing zombies out on the course, (laughs) my legs just started rolling and I was in a rhythm and I ran some of my best miles from 26 to 31 minus that one straight up hill mile that no one could have put in faster than a 19 minute mile (laughs) on that, that one. Right. But other than that, those were my best miles. So huge, huge, huge wins. But when you said, I've still got a lot to prove on the road and it reinvigorated your love of the road. Um, I would say in a similar fashion, but a little bit different, your why not me um, mantra is something I've grabbed onto and made my own this year. And it's, it's crazy how belief really is starting to kick in. Um, I've seen pieces start coming together and when I, when I like meditate or reflect, I, I think I did for a while believe my best days were behind me and I this is through a lot of like introspection Um, I think I would link it all the way back to February of 2017 it's the first time I ever DNF'd on a marathon Mm. and it's the only time I failed as a pacer never I I had always believed if I don't hit my time if I sign up to be a pacer then you get your shit done. Like you don't deserve all this free gear and like fancy VIP food and after drinks when you're supposed to pace people through a race and you didn't get your shit done. So I always had that as a standard in my head and no one else told me that. I mean, they, I got invited back, but I humbly declined because I was like, I didn't do my job. And I think that that voice was actually, I'm not promoting that way of thinking. I think that voice was a little bit too critical And it drove me into a a downward spiral where I was like running the best days are just behind me. And I got into CrossFit at the time and like switched gears and everything and came back like a prodigal son. (laughs) And so the return's been really great. Um, But now sitting in December of 2019, I plan to PR again next week. And that'll be an eight year PR on the course that I PR'd on in Dallas uh, uh, eight years ago in 2011. Let's say it doesn't happen though. I'll PR though. Like oh, if it coming. doesn't happen in December, it's going to happen in February. It's going to like, I'm going to run probably four or five marathons next year and it'll happen because my body is actually close like to running that pace, generally speaking at any given time. So I've just put myself back into a place where I actually believe in it again. And I can say, why not me? Um, my long run buddy just crushed one of your athletes, Jen. She, she just crushed her goal. I think 328 to qualify for Boston. I think we were, I always thought we were training at 330, but it turns out she <laughs> ran at 322. So I'm like, <laughs> my God. And this is the stuff I said yeah. early in the year on the podcast. I was like, if you have struggle believing, look to your left, look to your right. Are the athletes that you train with, are they crushing their goals? If you're putting in the work with them, you should start believing And that's what's starting to happen inside of me. It's like that belief is actually like growing and it's starting to almost feel like knowledge rather than hope. Two things, two reactions to that. One is you, you talking about being in that trail race and having that dark place. There is something about doing an ultra, especially one that has a lot of climbing like Sky Island or the one I did in Canada or even the one I, the 50 K I did in San Francisco there's something about that to redefine for yourself as a marathoner, how far is far and how long is long and how hard is hard <laughs> because it, it, and believe me, it is apples and oranges as much as can be. It is completely different kinds of hard. So I'm not trying to say, Hey, you know, 
this is the same, but it does give you a perspective on what is hard. You know, when I've been out there now for 12 hours for a 50 miler, (laughs) climbed 11,000 feet and descended another 11,000 feet. When I go and do the Austin marathon in February, where the elevation change is like 1300 feet, (laughs) it kind of puts things in perspective a little bit about what's hard. And while believe me, I have all the respect in the world for what that course is. I do also now have an, a new appreciation for the fact that I can crush it because of what I've done on the trails. So, so that's one thing. And, and related to that, you know, one thing about the trails that you learn is that if you feel bad in any moment, you just got to keep putting one foot in front of the other. And before you know it, you're going to feel good again. And that's weird that you can go from bad to good and bad to good and back, you know, back to good again. It's weird that that can happen, but the longer you're out there, the more it can happen and the more it's true. And you just got to keep putting one foot in front of the other. And you'll hear that from all the big ultra guys or anybody or women. They'll all say the same thing. When you're in a bad spot on the trail, just keep moving. It's going to change. Just keep moving. I mean, I think about it when I was in San Francisco doing that 50 K and I was never in a bad place there, but I, but I was for the first about 10 miles had a little bit of imposter syndrome. Like, what am I doing? And why am I out here? I'd gotten the entry late. And so I just kind of jumped in, haven't been training for trails since, since August and was questioning my life decisions, maybe hurting a little bit more than I should at that point. And then we got to this three mile long, just grinding climb that was about 400 feet per mile up, you know, And if you know anything about trail and, uh, and what that means, you know, that is a runnable hill, (laughs) you know, in a trail ultra, it's not one you necessarily have to hike depending on the distance. So it's a runnable trail. But when when we hit the bottom of that and I knew it was coming and I'm sitting here thinking at mile 10, like, Oh shoot, we've got this big climb coming. Like that's going to be tough. Like I may have to fall back. And we hit it and it was like, damn, this doesn't feel good. <laughs> you know, for the first half mile, you're like trying to find that rhythm going uphill that's sustainable. And somewhere in there, I found it, found the groove. And then the rest of that two, three mile climb in, in many ways felt easy, you know, putting that in air quotes. And from there to the finish, it was good. Like it was like, felt great. But again, it's just a sign. Like if you're feeling bad, you have uncertainty on the trail, then keep moving. It'll change. And I think that actually applies pretty well in the marathon too. Mm. You're not out there as long, so you don't always have the time to flip-flop. But but I think the same can be true if you just stay with it. And I'll think, I think back to my PR, my then PR in 2013, a BCS marathon, which your, co-ho- your co-coach Jacob just ran first eight miles of that race were terrible felt horrible somewhere at mile eight or so it flipped and then i felt good for the rest of the way and it's just sometimes the way it is so a couple of reflections there i don't know if you had any comments on those reflections before we move to my third no i just think it's a great that part of me wants to say that'll preach I mean, that's life. <laughs> yes, that's life is. too going through a dark spell just keep moving just with time it's better all right so my third one i'm gonna pull from my coaching takeaways. And 
while this is something I've known all along and embraced as a coach and talked to athletes about, I also feel like for whatever reason this year, it kind of came into focus for me how much it's true, which is that this point as a coach and therefore as an athlete, how perfection is not the point. Perfection is not the point. You know, everybody wants to have the perfect cycle where they nailed every run, where they nailed every workout, where they didn't miss anything because of little injuries that might pop up. Everybody wants that cycle. But the more I coach, I realize they don't, that doesn't exist at all. And especially in the marathon game, you're going to have ups and downs. You're going to have runs you miss because of life. You're going to have workouts that don't go well. You're going to have workouts you miss or runs you miss because you had a little niggle that popped up that you're managing. And that's just the way it is. And I coached a lot of people through those types of experiences this year at all levels. And more times than not, they got through those situations, still crushed their goal. Even though they didn't have the perfect cycle, they had the injury pop up, they had inconsistency pop up. You know, I had a guy get pneumonia in the middle of his cycle for his first marathon. And we manage. You manage, you work through it, you do the best you can, you don't beat yourself up, you move on, and you you go and crush it anyway. And yeah, sometimes you have to ultimately make tweaks to your goal depending on how things are how prolonged things are or how things play out. But Again, I guess I just saw more in spades this year. Those types of things work out for people who were able to manage it effectively. And so as a coach, it really crystallized for me that fact that perfection is not the point. And of course, it's always a good takeaway as an athlete that you don't have to have a perfect cycle to get your goal. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, in fact, when I write macro, when I write um, a personal macro for an athlete, I tend to say if you hit 80-90% of what I have written down, you're going to have a really great race. Um, so it's already it's already kind of noted. But I'd say there's two applications. One's that mental side. Like, hey, when you're beating yourself up, remember um, the path to perfection is an imperfect one. And I like that one-liner. And I, I remember using that with myself one day when I was – I was doing plank in my apartment and I'm staring at the floor and there's dog hair and um, I'm dripping sweat onto it. And it's just this like, oh my God, this is what like the pursuit of ex- excellence looks like. Your face <laughs> is down there in sweat and yeah. you know, it, it just does something with the mind on there. So on one hand, I, I like the, I, the one liner of like the path to perfection is an imperfect one because um, like you said, relieving it from that mental piece. So when people are freaking about freaking out about like what they didn't get in, um, but I think there's another application there too, <clears throat> is that life will throw you curveballs. There will be um, things that throw you off course, whether it's this guy getting pneumonia or an injury or whatever, um, and that's why anytime you are healthy and good, like don't skip out on the things that you said you would do, uh, because life is going to bring you. Like you don't want to like uh, bank early and say like I'm doing pretty good. I'm you know, relax here or there. Uh, it's like, no, get it done when things are going well, like make hay when the sun is shining, because there will be days, you know, that you just get taken off of it. So couldn't yep. agree more. 
All right. What's next for you? So I'll, I'll flip to coaching in a second, but um, I want on a personal level, um, this is more like an appreciation looking back and then I can tie it to a concept we talked about on our podcast um, early in the year. <clears throat> but I am, I couldn't be more thankful for the running partners I've uh, and friendships, like true, genuine, like life-changing friendships that I formed in 2019. And I like saying it this way because there are literally humans on earth that I'm very close to right now and I didn't even know they existed Hmm. when I woke up on January 1st of 2019 so Jen my long run buddy um uh Anne-Marie Oksana Ben Gordon Amy and Alicia that's the pack I run with in Team Rogue I started the year running with Martha Newton and I was so thankful to have a partner and she got sick like early on and so there was about like a four week window where I was like, who am I going to run with? And that pack was a little bit ahead of me. Um, Tony too, but Tony got injured. So I want to <laughs> give Tony some love. Um, but um, I don't think I would even uh, be talking about PRing after eight years um, coming into this weekend if it wasn't for those people and um, the excitement I have. Um, I mean, I channel my FOMO. Like, <laughs> yes, I'm here to get better and crush my workouts and hit my goals. But the reason why I hate missing is because I'm afraid I'm not going to get to see these people. Um, so there are times, not saying I'm proud of this, but there are times I've made these workouts when I'm just hung over and strung out. And again, I'm not <laughs> proud of that. You know, shouldn't be drinking that much on a Wednesday night. But <laughs> I get up and make that run simply because uh, that's my chance to see those people. And um I just couldn't be more thankful for having those people in my life. Um, and again, have developed friendships way outside of uh, just the running in and of itself. And so if I have to turn that into an application for the listeners, we said it early in the year in tips for 2019, but find a pack to run with. Um, I can't emphasize it enough because it doesn't just enrich your running life, but enriches your life as a whole. Yes. Iron sharpens iron, as the Bible says, as runners, the magic to me in that is that while you're becoming a better runner because of that accountability, you're also becoming a better person. And you only get that by mixing it up with people. And the beauty of, to me, a 5.30 or 6 a.m. long run at Rogue is certainly the work and what it represents as progress towards goals. But it's also the fact that nobody has masks on. And if you're doing that somewhere with somebody else, you know, you don't put your makeup on. <laughs> you bring in your baggage from the night before. You may not have slept as much as you would like. And so you just don't have the energy because you got to put it into the running. You don't have the energy to put on a mask or to be somebody you're not. And so therefore you have to be exactly you. And sometimes people will call you on your shit. Sometimes they'll give you some love. I mean, it comes in a lot of different forms, but either way you walk away and yeah, you got in some work that will eventually build towards that goal, but you're also, you know, a little bit changed as a human too. And man, that's where the good stuff lies. It's so good. And you know, if I started naming people that I would leave somebody out, so I won't, but I would say the same about my running partners as well as those I coach because I get the same kind of vibe from them. And even though I may not be there every step as they're going out there, I'm a part of those conversations about them dreaming big, them doing the work, them wanting to be better as humans as well as runners. And man, I get so much inspiration from that, being a part of that, that 
I really can't put it, the appreciation I have for it in words. So cheers to putting that one on the list. I like that. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about next for me. And I'm going to, I'm going to go with the coaching one again here, which is, and again, this is something that I've known and, you know, internalized through the years, but I think I saw in spades, not only as a person, but as a coach this year. And that's the importance of variety in your work that you don't optimize fitness by doing the same thing cycle to cycle over and over. You don't optimize fitness by always coming back to the same workouts. And while, yeah, there can be keystone workouts that are fundamental, that are foundational, that may not change a lot. And, you know, in our world, that might be 800s, you know, for my morning show group and for the podcast group, the Michigan, you know, that's always going to show up. It's a foundational aerobic strength workout. I think you have to find variety in your training, not only in the races you're doing, the goals you're achieving, but in the type of work you're doing. You know, something, one thing I like to do with my group every summer is mix it up in some way. At least I'm talking about the group I have here in Austin. And so every summer we'll do something a little bit different. We've, I've had speed development summers. I've had summers of miles where we're focused on aerobic volume. This summer I mixed it up and we were focused on aerobic, aerobic strength in a sense. So I wanted non-specific workouts that built aerobic strength or another word for that is endurance you know where you're grinding not going top end but just grinding and so i did a block of six to eight weeks where made up six to eight new workouts and we just grinded did some on the grass we did some on the track we did some part looks on the road we just mixed it up and i think that variety not only makes it fun and interesting for people and you know for me as a coach but also gives you a new stimulus that is going to make you better and so as coaches you know for those that might be coaches listening I think we always have to challenge ourselves to bring variety to our groups even if it's just variety for the sake of variety sometimes and that may not be, you know, that may not mean doing some completely new thing. It might just mean a different take on an old workout. And then as athletes, I think we got to think about the same thing. You know, how can you introduce variety into your training so that you can continue to provide stimulus for your body? Because when you get used to something, every time it becomes a little less effective. So that's another point I really internalized and saw play out this year. Yeah, it's not, and it's not just um, physiological, but also psychological. Mm-hmm. Um, just preventing burnout, and you may you may have said that, but on the in there, I was thinking about the physiological. You need the new stimulus, but yep. mentally too. Yeah, one of the things I wrote down, I'll go to that then in response, is that I'm glad I broke the year up into mindsets. So while I saw set the annual mileage goal, um, I was in that just yeah. I don't know if you remember this, but I was in that just go run them mindset, the fun loving jolly. Like, you yep. know, I'm, I am a lifestyle runner. Prodigal son is, re- <laughs> prodigal son is returned. It's just like, if there's an event in Austin, James Dodd's going to be there. He may be jogging it. He may be well rested and racing it. Who knows, but he's going to be there. And I just accumulated a lot of mileage. Um, 
and I knew, uh, you know, Ryan, our team road coach, had had started um, late spring or so, maybe May, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. But he was going to uh, be offering up one-on-ones uh, around that June time frame. And I remember thinking, this is my chance at mid-year. Go have a one-on-one and let's set goals and put something out there. And that's why in a week, um, you know, I'm going to test myself. That That was the second half of the year is like, let's be – um, more focused as far as speed's concerned. Um, switch. Yeah. You flip the switch on. Exactly. And that's not to say the first half of the year, it's to your grander point of bringing the variety because I don't think I did anything wrong by any means in the first part of the year. It, it was all part of it. It was this fun mileage building season where it's like if someone needed a buddy on a Sunday for 10 miles, as long as I could run the pace, it was like, Sure, I'm in. Yeah, I could get in a few more miles. That'll be fun. Um, but then, yeah, to turn it on and get focused in the second half of the year, it broke the year up. I'm still on track for the big picture goal, but I'm glad I broke it up that way. There's a time and a place for both. You know, it's I think about my little trail season, and I, I wanted to be prepared for what I was doing. That was important as brass tacks, as sort of a given. But more than that, I wanted it to be fun and interesting and different. So part of my training philosophy for that as I plan my macro was to never do the same thing twice and only to do things that I found interesting or fun. So that meant with, I think, one exception, anytime I was going out to do long trail sessions, I went to different trails around town to try to try to find variety. I didn't want to just go do the Greenbelt here in downtown Austin because been there, done that, not interesting. I wanted to go. So we went out to McKinney Ruffs, went out to Pedernales Falls, went to the Bull Creek Greenbelt. Always sought out different trails to run on because that variety made it fun and interesting for me. And... So yeah, there's a season to go have fun and do things that are interesting, recognizing that you can do that and still be building to something, even if that's not your main laser focus in the moment. Did you, one question for you on that flip switch, switch flip, was did you have to mentally gear up for that shift when you said, hey, okay, I'm going from the fun, showing up James, to the, hey, time to do some work. Was there some mental thing you had to put on a different hat or thought process? It, it was a, There was definitely a lot of mental processing. But what's interesting is that uh, I come from, like my mental, the way I approach things mentally is probably inverted to a lot of people. So um, I've talked about this before, but I've read a lot of books by Navy SEALs and um you know, I, I've put some high standards on myself at times that have caused me to burn out and quit. So it wasn't so much of like, yeah, let's amp up and get tough. But it was rather like a lot of internal processing of saying, James, we're going to have to get there one day. But also being patient with myself saying, without jeopardizing your fun, are you ready? And it wasn't like I was sitting there talking out loud, but that's that's what the internal dialogue feels like. And a lot of that happens through journaling in and of itself. But um, I think when the natural six-month barrier came, it was, a, it was a fun way for me to say, hey, wouldn't it be cool? Like, think about it like this. What if you think about it like this? Um, 
six months fun, playful, six months like let's go for the goal. Um, but yeah, I would say that was like a perhaps a 90 day process, if not a 60 day process of chewing on it, saying, when are you going to be ready? Like I didn't want to set like I've done I've done this with diets like go all keto and nail it for six months or I've been vegan for six months before or um, I can be very extreme. I have a personality that will be unbelievably obsessive. So I didn't I wanted it to be in a sustainable manner um, without, you know, causing too much of. Uh, other aspects of life to disrupt because when you change one variable other variables change and so it was more of like a a coaxing and listening to myself internally like I I think you are good but let's chew on it this week like let's journal about it three times before the week's up write down your thought and your feeling on it and just getting myself to kind of ease into that and coax into it and then when I said it out loud I was like okay this is I think this is starting to this is, this is what's going to happen. And so the week leading up to the one-on-one with Ryan was honestly me talking to friends kind of still is a form of coaxing myself along. And then once I had said it to friends and then sat down with a coach and uh, talked about it, um, then it was done for me. Now it was like, I've put too much out there. I want to live up to it. Building off of that point, this idea of at some level you got to find balance right because you as i know i've seen it i've seen you go to the extreme so many times in all ways business running life diet as you said i've seen that but you got to find i'm not preaching to you i'm talking generally you got to find balance Mm -hmm. it's that balance between push pull and i think this is something both as a coach as an athlete i've been reflecting on this year of what you know what does balance look like one of the things i did this year that is unlike me as a person was jump in and do two races that I didn't have planned out well in advance. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's just not me. I don't go, I just don't go out and just do spontaneous races. You know, I'm a coach and an athlete who believes that everything has a purpose. If you have a race on the calendar, it should be a, either a race and a peak in and of itself, or it should be a build to a race that is a peak and you should know exactly how it fits into the overall plan. And while I still generally believe that you're going to get the most out of yourself if you approach your your planning that way, this year I allowed myself to do two races completely spontaneously where I made a decision basically the week of or in one case the day before to do them. One was a race I did in January, the Miracle, not sorry, the uh, First Responders Half Marathon in Waco, Texas. (laughs) And... I actually made the decision to go do that and registered on race morning. I mean, I made the decision the day before, registered on race morning. It was a race up in Waco, Texas, which meant driving an hour and a half on a Sunday by myself, racing, and then coming back. And people might remember, I've talked about it on there on the podcast. I actually went and won, <laughs> won a half marathon in Waco spontaneously, which was fun. First time breaking the tape ever. But I got there because... I was thinking about how the, how the fact, you know, I had to do a long run on Sunday for whatever reason. I couldn't do it on Saturday with our typical real groups. Had to go do a long run. Didn't have anybody else to do it with. Other people were doing other things or racing. And so I'm sitting here on a Saturday thinking, man, I've got to do this long run by myself, you know, without anybody, without that community that we love. And it just didn't sound any fun. So somebody said, hey, I'm going up to do this race. And I thought, man, I should do that (laughs) because it could be a workout slash long run and be a lot of fun too. So 
that's what it ended up being. You know, it wasn't an all out half for me. And I realized it's maybe annoying to say that I won, even though it wasn't an all out half, but, but it was fun. It was so much fun. And I got to compete and just race and focus on running a hard effort, but not, you know, kill myself. And, and through that, as well as the random 50 K I spontaneously decided to do the week of, you know, last month, I realize that occasionally that's okay. There's a time and a place to be spontaneous and just go do something for the sake of doing it for fun because it can feed your soul. It can fuel your fire. It can give you motivation in other ways. Plus you can use it for something, right? So, so that lesson, which applies to me as a person, my willingness to let myself do that. And then also as a coach to not necessarily be hard on somebody who makes that decision. Now I don't want people to think this is permission to go crazy and do a race every weekend that might be random, but I have a new appreciation for that as a part of the overall plan. That's awesome. I'm glad to hear you say that because I kind of live that way. <laughs> but I always know what my A race is. Um, yeah. I was talking to colleagues today. I was and like, me my big, too. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, um, definitely. You know what your A <laughs> race is. You're you're just now adding a little spot and spontaneity into it. But I'm the opposite. I'm like always out there doing them and participating in things. But um, I was telling a colleague today, um, no, my A race is this weekend. And they were like, but didn't you just do a race because as far as they're concerned every six weeks they've seen me posting on Facebook about some race so they don't even know which one's the real one um but yeah I use it to keep it fun and I'm like man if I can be out there I can skip the long run this week and I get to <laughs> knock out 18 miles on a 30k trail race so yeah why don't I just sign up for the trail why race? not why not all right what's next on your list uh one of my coaching ones that I'll throw in there is that um we discussed at one point on how to select a coach and like what it, we ended with, like what do we struggle with? And I had mentioned like pushing people. Um, I think seeing some of the workouts that you've given uh, your athletes and having like direct insight to it through Jen's macro and, and uh, text that you send her for like certain long runs and stuff um, really opened my eyes to how much I can push. And I feel like for our team this year, it's been PR city. Like, it's just been so cool. Um, like you said earlier, you won't name every partner in case you forget someone. <laughs> I'm not going to try to name all the PRs because there really are that many. A couple guys have had two PRs within this year, you know, racing halves, et cetera. So it's been cool. And, I, and I'm still not like a general that comes off and says, guys, you got to do it this way. And I push them like crazy, but rather um, taking my natural sort of like, um, uh, I'd say thoughtful and considerate and kind personality and challenging it uh, or, or recognizing that I have a lot of room that I can get away with a lot more and say, you know, like with some of my, my tier three athletes this year, I reminded everyone like tier three in my emails um, is not the heart of the program. Tier two is the heart of the program. So if you sign up for rogue training and you want to get what rogue training is supposed to deliver you on a Wednesday night at 6 p.m., that's what's going to be on tier two. And tier three is self-selected. And that gave me a framework to feel safe to say things that were a little more edgy. So I remember one night I was like, hey, no bitching about the tier three workout. You don't have to do it. That's only for people who have said, I've run this program for X amount of years. Yep. I want to swing at the big stuff. Yep. And so I was able to talk with that exact tone 
and say, I don't want to hear your bitching. Like, if you don't <laughs> want to be a tier three athlete, don't. <laughs> you know, tier enjoy three the... being a little more advanced work. Is exactly. That, yeah. It's it's it is a it is a growth step for those who have maximized. You know, I've got some folks that have been training in the program for three four years. So if they you know have run those workouts, they get to like um, you know uh, this time this year where they're like, I remember running that w- workout six months ago. You know, within X macro. So they're they're used to seeing some of the same things come through. I want the new athlete to hit that for the first time but some of these more advanced folks I'm like hey we've got more stuff that we can do over here and if you want it go get it and don't you dare bitch to me about adding more because you self-selected and it's been cool to see results and 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 not to say that tier two is like not hard in and of itself like I still consider I, I look at it and I consider can I do that tier two workout before I you know put it out there in the email um, so I'm glad that we both did the podcast and talked about it and then tried to grow in that way and to have seen results, you know, within the group. Um, it makes me excited to see what happens in 2020. I wrote a couple macros this week, actually, because um, I've got some people doing random dates, um, like one athlete's doing a May 3rd race and we don't have like spring macros released for that yet. So I just went ahead and wrote it out and um, I found myself writing stuff into it. Where I'm like, hey, let's talk about this. But um, just that I'm already putting that out in front of her. And then I'm going to say, like, we've got some wiggle room. But I want you to at least start right now with the mindset that, you know, come April 6th, you're crushing 18 with this pace work. Um, Right. Yeah, it's interesting. I think sometimes we don't give ourselves enough credit for what we can do. And obviously there's a balance. And you got to make sure you're taking those easy days easy. So when you do swing... Swing at the fences a little bit. You're ready for it. But, I mean, I even think about my six-year-old. I mean, she just ran a 10K because she wanted to. <laughs> and that's super impressive. Mm-hmm. And I think half the time as parents, we're babying our kids thinking, oh, they can't do this or that because it's too much. We're deciding for them what's too much versus them deciding what's too much. And I was really conflicted over letting her do it because I didn't want it to be too much for her. But then she just proved me wrong. <laughs> She's like, look, Dad, I want to do this and I'm going to crush it. And I think as, he, as adults, we sometimes do that to ourselves. We're like, well, I can't run this much. I get, I get emails all the time from people who listen, which I appreciate. And they say, hey, you know, I'm a 20 mile a week, 30 mile a week runner who's struggling to get more than that without without hurting myself and some of that could be real things that are happening that are preventing you from getting there some of that could be mistakes like going too fast all the time as one of those things but I think sometimes it's a mental barrier of just you've decided you've told yourself the story that that's too much for me and therefore it's a self-fulfilling prophecy versus instead flipping it and saying look I can be a 40 mile a week runner or a 30 mile a week runner or a 50 mile a week runner and I'm going to challenge myself to get there and I'm going to do all the things I need to do to be smart to do it but assume it's an eventuality instead mm-hmm. of beating yourself up before you even get there and be like, I'm just not that. I just can't do that. That's mm-hmm. not me. I can't handle that. My body can't handle that. Those are stories that we tell ourselves and and you can write a different script. Yeah. Two responses that came to mind, that very last piece, like, um, uh, one thing I'll say is, um, 
Jagar and I were hanging out last night because he ran 304 yesterday, PR'd by seven minutes in Bryan College Station. And I know in the back of his mind, he wants sub three. That's the overarching goal. So I wanted to go have a beer with him and, you know, have a burger and just like celebrate his win. And then also had like a skeptical eye making sure he is celebrating it. Because I was not going to let him. And he didn't. He had all the right mental juju going on. He was very happy. He's excited. He understands that it's a big win. Yeah. Um, but if I boil it down to a one-liner, I'd say we th- we we think and and plan and goal set way faster than we can execute. And this is something I'm doing in my like. I finally have a vision for myself in business and being able to clearly articulate that to both my company, other companies, uh, mentors in the space. It's unreal. Um, how good it feels. So I'm glad I know the long-term goal, but I'm going to have to live uh, where I'm at when I wake up tomorrow and get to work. I'm, I'm still going to be right here taking one little step forward. So that was one reaction is um, Jay Gower and I were talking about how like, it's just constant ascension. Like if, if you're going from 311 to 304, then my God, the peak's still ahead of you. It's great, right? Like you, if you were three quarters the way up a mountain, you wouldn't just sit there and bitch and complain. You would still have your eye. You could celebrate being three fourths of the way up and keep your eye towards like the summit. You keep moving towards it. So yeah, we put dates on things and timelines so we can make it measurable and be like, well, I said I would run this by this date and if I don't, blah, blah, blah. But all that's like tertiary in my you know, in my eyes, we have one life to live. And if you're on a path towards a constant improvement, how could you get down and out about that? And of course, life has valleys too. You know, I'm, I'm accepting of that. But if athletes can keep in mind, like, if I'm just one step closer to my goal, then technically I'm winning, <laughs> you know, and you should walk <laughs> yep. tall. Yeah. PR is a PR is a PR. You got to yeah. celebrate those regardless of how much you get it by. You know, my uh, second reaction too was, um, and this is for the coach in me, um, but it's, um, you were talking about your daughter and like Elena wanting to like, you know, run it for herself. And, and, and I felt like, you know, you were saying something about the paternal instinct firing to protect her. I think that's another way by which I'm growing in my ability to challenge athletes and why it's better for the athletes in the end is because I don't know why it took this long to hit me, but it's like, they don't want me there to coddle them or hold their hand or protect them. They they want to do it on their own. They they want to know they faced some form of suffering and they got through it. And they need a guide to point the way and they need an encourager to uplift them. But ultimately, it's their struggle that they want to overcome. And that, again, that's applying in business as well. It's like it, it's changing the way I'll onboard new hires. It's It's like people want to brush up against challenge and say, I overcame that. And while on one hand, if you asked me five years ago, did I know that? I'd say conceptually, yeah, I did. But for some reason, I like get it and feel it down in my stomach now. It's like, that's like, yes, I have to protect the athlete in the sense of don't give them something that would break them and be unhealthy for their development. But for the most part, like um, they want to be stretched and challenged and find that new layer in themselves. So I'm, I, in that sense, it's starting to click for it's me. It's where the magic is, where the growth is. Even as a parent, I have to remind myself, you can't protect them too much. They have to experience their own failures. Okay, the last thing for me, which is kind of related to where we were going there and related to, to Jagar's thing of, hey, celebrate what you have. Lesson for me this year is that 
bigger things are still to come. Bigger things are still to come. I've been doing this for 20 years. And and I would say for me, bigger also means faster. You know, it may not be bigger may not mean faster for everybody because bigger could be defined in a different vector. But for me, faster is bigger means faster and that's still to come. You know, I've been debating in my head since I was probably 35 as to at what point am I going to start slowing down and not chasing PRs anymore. And in fact, you know, this why not me thing we've talked about in the past of me sort of thinking that at one point my, my fastest times, just like you thought, were behind me and then realizing, well, that's a dumb story that I told myself. And but I would say even recognizing that and, and internalizing that lesson five or six years ago, I would say every year between then and now, I've still questioned it, you know, are, are, is it, is it now that my faster times are behind me? Is it now? Is it actually this year? I turned 40 this year. I asked myself that question. Like, as, is it now that my faster times are now behind me and I need to think about something else? And believe me, I am at peace with my running and what I've accomplished. And I know that if I never PR again, that this will be a lifelong journey for me that I will love and thrive with. But I would say more than more than the last six years of kind of still having to question that and, and convince myself that that's true. This year, I got to a place where I don't need to anymore. Like there is no but or maybe if kind of thought process in the back of in my brain on this topic. I know that I can still run faster. Bigger things are still to come in a lot of ways, but especially with my running and I'm really excited, maybe more than I've been in a long time to go, go for that, to go get it. And I know it's not gonna be perfect. I know there'll be valleys, peaks and, and, you know, challenges along the way, but that's what makes it fun and interesting. That's what'll make it sweeter when it comes. And man, that makes me really fired up to enter a new decade. I love that, and I hope that the athlete, like the the audience, can like feel it, because um, I feel pretty lucky. Like I get to sit <laughs> and listen to you right here, and feel it, and I feel it for myself too. Like um, my Strava post, I always title my Strava runs. I like being goofy and playful and fun, and sometimes maybe it's inspiring or whatever. But I always have fun giving it a title, and I and I said I'm coming for all of 28 year old James Best, <laughs> and I, I I genuinely believe it. I'm gonna go get that marathon first, and then I'm coming for the 10k PR, and um you know there's a five year gap between us, so that's what's really cool. Like I, I you're not allowing me to use age as an excuse right. because you're saying this at 40. You know I've you know I'm 35. It's like I I can't I can't blame it on age. I can't just say oh well at 28. I was younger, fitter, but it, it's like, right. no, man, there's, there's so much that can still be done. And yeah, I hope outside of things, like you said, I don't know when it'll be done. I hope it's, you know, external, like it's like, you know, life will tell you when it's actually done. We know there will be a time, but never ever say it's done just because hope was lost or, uh, you couldn't see through, you know, doubts or, you know, what short term setbacks, but it's like, we really can. There's so much more uh, for us to go grab, and I finally taste it, and I can't wait. And there are people who may be listening that are older than us, <laughs> and I want to make sure they're encouraged too. I mean, I've got athletes that I coach in their 50s and 60s that are still chasing PRs. 
Now I get that for some of the athletes as age progresses, you have to shift and redefine what bigger means. I get that that's a, a reality at some point. But, you know, I still pe- I still see people chasing PRs in their 50s, 60s, and still chasing bigger things in their 70s and 80s. And so we all have a long way <laughs> to go to chase bigger. And I just want to make sure everybody's encouraged inclusively on that. And, and when I see those athletes around the road community and, and the ones I get to coach myself, I'm just, it's a constant reminder that, Hey, still got plenty of years left. Yeah. So, so cheers to bigger things to come, James. Yeah. This, this almost turned more into like a pep talk. talk. There is a lot of good stuff going on in life right now though. And in in rogue and in running. So it's, yeah. Any final, any final thoughts as we wrap this one? No, I think you signed off well. I think I want to leave it at that. Cheers to like bigger and better things. Like bigger, better, faster things are are to, are to come. And we'll wrap it there. All right. Thanks to everybody for listening. Please go do your own reflections on 2019 as we enter this new decade. And hopefully you learn something from ours. We're excited for a faster year in 2020. And as always, you can check us out at roguerunning.com. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Rogue Running. Until next time, we will talk to you soon.